Hello, Birds fans, Philly fans, and football lovers. Welcome to From a Fan's Perspective, the Birds Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the first week of the 2019 season. Fans were looking forward to this week since the 2018 playoff loss to New Orleans when Nick Foles' luck ran out. That was a disappointing ending, but it really set the stage for moving on from Nick Foles. So let's start with the expectations leading up to the first game. Deshaun Jackson was the excitement throughout Philadelphia. He was back in green. He's going to take this offense to the next level, really spark Carson Wentz's career. The offensive line was touted as one of the best. They also had a feature in the ESPN Body Magazine, and it had some interesting and bold poses, which also became part of Talk of the Town leading up to week one. In the draft, they also solidified a little bit of the offensive line with Andre Dillard to fill in for an a questionable Jason Peters, if he'll make it through the year or not. They felt that he was a good pick to uh, really be the future of Jason Peters. And then we also knew going into training camp, and training camp really solidified it, that Miles Sanders is a true running back in the NFL. And people were really excited about him, even though Jordan Howard was signed in the offseason. Speaking of signings, the Eagles spent the most money of any NFL team in the offseason, spending $372 million on contracts, $225 million of that was guaranteed. That included signing Jordan Howard, Zach Brown, Darren Sproles, Orlando Skandrick, Jason Kelsey, Malik Jackson, Deshaun Jackson, and Vinny Curry, and then also the big money to Carson Wentz. So they spent a lot of money. It was giving indicators that they were really trying to get back to the Super Bowl and make a run for it. Malik Jackson and Vinny Curry really added to the defensive line rotation that was already strong. Chris Long left. It was a disappointing loss, but we got Vinny Curry back. Tim Jernigan was also back. And the defensive line seemed to be what was going to hold up the defense because we still knew that we had secondary concerns, especially with Mills starting the season injured. And on August 4th, we got to see the Eagles practice. I was there. The offense looked great. I walked out of there thinking the Eagles have a running back problem, but in a positive way because they had to cut someone. But there was so much talent that it didn't matter who they cut. They were going to have a good backfield. They had... Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, Darren Sproles, Corey Clement, Smallwood, and then a guy by the name of Boston Scott was even on the field making some moves. But the other side of the ball, the glaring problem was linebacker and cornerback. Linebacker, they got Zach Brown. They had Bradham still. Camus was injured going into the season, got injured actually right before the open practice. So you kind of wondered, were these running backs looking so good at this practice because the linebacking core was so poor? 
And then throughout the preseason, the Eagles opted to sit most of their starters. So we didn't get to see much as far as expectations. We saw a little bit of Miles Sanders. But in the end, we're going into this based off of speculation. Some of the headlines were Eagles are an elite offense. The Eagles have the best offensive line in the NFL. In the power rankings by ESPN, they were fifth. The Super Bowl odds had them at six to win it all. And then people were even saying Carson Wentz had some of the best targets in the NFL. He had Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders out of the backfield. He had Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard. The list of targets was endless. Now for September 8th. The Eagles were expected to breeze by Washington and were favored by 10.5 points. That all faded faster than the Mike Scott tailgate brawl spread on Twitter. As we know, the Eagles win this game 32-27. But what did the Birds do that the Redskins had the lead for almost three full quarters? The Redskins offense had their way on their first three drives. In these three drives, the Eagles secondary made Case Keenum look like Tom Brady. Vernon Davis looked like his 24-year-old self. Terry McLaurin looked like a polished veteran wide receiver in his first NFL career game. The Eagles defense proved why the Vikings moved on from Sandejo. They continued to lack tackling, especially the corners. Darby looked like he didn't even know where he was playing. The defensive line couldn't get any pressure and we're getting pushed around by the Washington offensive line. The Eagles offense made the Redskins defense look like the steel curtain. They only totaled 57 yards on their first three possessions. Their big signing of Jordan Howard in the offseason, he hardly was in the backfield. The tight ends, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz, two of their best receivers, barely made any impact. Wentz looks rushed and uncomfortable, and Jackson made a few plays, but nothing spectacular. The longest play through the first three drives was 11 yards, and that was to Deshaun Jackson. He had more penalty yards than he had receiving yards. The Eagles left three points on the field because Doug Peterson elected to go for it on fourth down on the Redskins' 29-yard line when they were only down by 10 in the first quarter. From a fan's perspective, the first 20 minutes of this game was absolutely troublesome. They ended up down 17-0, and the offense was not clicking. Then, finally, the Eagles got their first defensive stop, thanks to a holding penalty, really. Even on this three and out, they couldn't stop Darius Geis from running the ball for more than three yards each carry. But the holding penalty got them to three and out. And then finally, the Eagles had life. After a couple of misses and drops by Aguilar and Goddard, the first Wentz to Jackson touchdown occurred. It was a beautiful 51-yard bomb to humble all of the Washington fans. From a fan's perspective, this is what we were waiting for all offseason. Deshaun Jackson running up the sideline, looks up, the ball drops right into his hands, touchdown. The Eagles have life. After that, the Eagles' D was able to step up again and got another three and out. The half ended with the defense getting torched again, though. Timmy Jernigan did get a sack, 
but it was followed by another 11-yard rush by Darius Geis. And the Redskins kicked a field goal. Going into half, the Eagles were down 20-7. to They went into the locker room getting booed for the second straight year at home on opening day. Going into the third quarter, the Eagles needed a big change. Luckily, they started out on the right foot with a run-heavy offense. But surprisingly, it still did not feature Howard at all. It resulted in Sanders' first big run that set up a touchdown pass to Alshon Jeffrey. Now, the two big receivers, Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey, both have a touchdown in this game. Jeffrey had a mismatch on a linebacker, which we need to take advantage of in the red zone more often. The Redskins stalled again on their next drive. The Eagles came out with only three offensive plays, but this time it was because it was another big pass to none other than Deshaun Jackson. 53 yards this time. At this point, the Eagles are finally up 21-20. to They didn't look back after that. Another punt by the Redskins, followed by another touchdown drive by the Eagles which this time featured another deep pass to Deshaun Jackson. And Ertz made a play finally. He got a 26-yard reception. And it ended with a rushing touchdown to Alshon Jeffrey. It was actually a screen pass that they credited as a rushing touchdown. After that, the Redskins went three and out again. And the Eagles had the best drive of the day, running nearly nine minutes off the clock, basically ending the game. They capped it off with a field goal. They weren't able to get it into the end zone but they took nine minutes off of the clock. When you have the lead, if you can take nine minutes off of the clock at any point in the game, you're in control. The line was in control. The receivers were getting open. The backs were breaking tackles and Nelson Aguilar was still dropping passes. Miles Sanders' first career touchdown was called back due to an JJ Ortega Whiteside penalty, but the game is over. The Redskins are now down 32 to 20. They do end up driving down the field and scoring with six seconds left just to put that last little needle in the defensive scheme and the Eagles end up winning 32-27. to In the end, Carson Wentz went 12-13 for 13 on third down, 197 yards and three touchdowns. He looked like his 2017 season again. He had a 121 passer rating overall. The defensive line combined for 21 quarterback pressures on Case Keenum by the end of the game. It took a little bit for them to get running. Once they did, the Redskins offense couldn't move the ball and the defensive scheme finally started to kick in. This kept Doug Peterson undefeated on his home openers as well. And he said that he really challenged the team during halftime to step up and they really did. They did make a lot of changes. Offensively, the snap counts were interesting for running backs. Miles Sanders led with 49% of the snaps. Sproles had 30%. Howard had only 23%. But Howard did have the most production per carry. He had six carries and 44 yards. He also had two catches for another 11 yards. Outside of the two long bombs to Deshaun Jackson and the 26-yard pass to Ertz, the longest plays were actually running plays. Each of the running backs, Sproles, Howard, and Miles Sanders, had at least one rush for 17 yards or more. In the first half, the pass to rush ratio was 18 to 14. In the second, 21 passes to 24 rushes. The running game is clearly 
the backbone of this team. They should ride that. They don't have the depth at receiver that they think they have. And defensively, Bradham, Jenkins, and McLeod played every down. Avante Maddox and Razul Douglas were at 90% of the snaps in the secondary. Darby and Jones played only 50% of the snaps. Like I said, at linebacker, Bradham played every snap. Sendejo played 55%, which most of the time he was in a linebacker position. Zach Brown only played 44%. Who are our linebackers? How do we have only Bradham, Sendejo, and Zach Brown on the field for each only 50%? But thankfully, the Redskins game plan fell apart. In the first half, they had 21 passing plays. In the second half, they only had nine. Every time the Redskins were beating the Eagles, they were throwing the ball. Even though Darius Geis had a decent game for his first career game, he couldn't carry them in this game. They needed to ride the passing game, which was exposed in the first half. They didn't. The defensive line then started stepping up and making plays. It covered up the weaknesses of the linebackers in the corners. And Jenkins, who held up the secondary, they were somehow coming out of this game with a win. The game was a microcosm of how the season is going to go, unfortunately. There was lots of anticipation. It began with disappointment, but ends with a victory. It came out of nowhere. The team looked like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in the first and second half. The game had everything. It had poor tackling, bad DB coverage. Safety is overcompensating for that bad defensive back and linebacker play. Wide receivers were dropping the ball. Tight ends were dropping the ball. The quarterback was uncomfortable in overthrowing targets. There were one or two questionable coaching decisions. But it's all pushed to the side because the Eagles won. From a fan's perspective, we don't fall for that. When we look at the Washington game, there was a lot that went wrong, and some that went right. At the beginning of the game, the Eagles offense couldn't get anything going other than a couple of runs. In the second quarter, gaining the success was clear. Unless they could get open downfield, they weren't going to win. Deshaun Jackson was able to do this a couple times and break through the coverage. Once that happened, the run game opened up and the secondary backed off. Big runs came from each of the running backs. If you look at the offseason moves, specifically the draft, they have made moves to increase this speed to get open downfield. The Redskins secondary couldn't stop the speed of Deshaun Jackson, but he was doing it alone. They did a great job of covering the mid-range mid -range routes, so Goddard and Ertz weren't as effective along with Jeffrey and Aguilar. But with the addition of Jalen Rager and Marquise Goodwin especially, they will be able to take some of the attention away from Deshaun and get Rager or Goodwin open. With this additional speed, they'll have two streaking receivers, maybe three streaking receivers that the secondary will not be able to cover all of. Aljon is still a question mark, no doubt. We don't know what he's going to be doing at this point in the offseason. And I think that's okay, because in the draft, we also got guys like John Hightower and Quez Watkins. While they're not an every-down player, they have to develop into that, but they are still going to be able to run the routes in the mid-range in roles to fill the gap that Alshon Jeffrey couldn't fill. And now we have two of them. Now, I'm not saying they're Alshon Jeffrey. I'm not saying that they're going to make the great catches that Alshon has had in his career, but they're two guys to fill the space 
and take away some of the attention as well, because they are pretty big targets themselves. They also have some speed. Getting younger, the key is to get that speed. And John Hightower used that speed and that height at Boise State. He went up and get the ball because he might not have been blowing past the coverage every play, but he was able to use his height then when he couldn't run past the coverage. And now Marquise Goodwin, he is also a great complement to Deshaun, not only because he's a speedster that can run down the field side by side with him, but it's because they can be interchangeable parts that will take the wear and tear off of both of them since they're both late in their career. This can preserve them for the playoffs. So in games like the Washington game, we don't need to send Deshaun Jackson down the field every play. We can take him out, put in Marquise Goodwin, and we'll still get the same effect that Deshaun Jackson had. Washington still wouldn't be able to keep up with Marquise Goodwin the same way they couldn't keep up with Deshaun Jackson. Against a team like Washington, having Jackson, Goodwin, Rager, and Hightower, with or without Alshon, there is no way that Washington can cover all of them. And then you throw in Goddard and Ertz, there's no way this defense can stop that offensive through the air. On the running side of the ball, we still have our line intact other than Jason Peters. And we drafted guys out of Auburn of Jack Driscoll and Prince. These guys will be able to fill the gaps as they develop. And we still have Andre Dillard. I think that the running backs room is just as strong as last year, even with losing Jordan Howard. We did sign Corey Clement back. And I think that that's a great signing to fill the hole that Jordan Howard made. Corey Clement will help with that change of pace. He's also going to bring that experience that Miles Sanders might not have. Overall, on the skill positions, the offense definitely improved. While we still have the question mark of Jason Peters, he could still return yet. Now, let's talk about the pick that everybody talked about. It's probably the most talked about pick ever in Philadelphia until next year's surprise pick. Jalen Hurts. There was a ton of sticker shock that came with this pick. And while I love the player, and I'm happy to have his talent in Philadelphia, I thought they could have picked a better impact player at number 53, while picking Hertz up at number 103 as well. But they didn't. And I don't think they picked him to replacements. It still could happen, but it won't be intentional. It won't be intentional in the sense that they put Hertz in to replace Wentz. It would be more of a situation like Hertz being replaced by Dua. In a game like week one, against Washington, when the team needed a spark, I have no doubt that Doug will put Jalen Hurts on the field with Carson Wentz to make an impact trick play, to change that momentum. I have even seen some interesting scenarios on Twitter where Carson Wentz, Hurts, and Greg Ward are all on the field at the same time. That would be three quarterbacks who can all throw to an open receiver. Now, that's not going to be the scheme every play, so it's still an interesting pick at number 53. But I think Jalen is a great addition to this team. And he will be challenging Wentz in areas of his game that need to get improvement. Overall, after this offseason, even not knowing the status of Alshon, this offense would be a team that can't be stopped by Washington. On the defensive side of the ball, the team really struggled to stop the deep routes of Washington's speedy receivers. And even stop Darius guys from eating up yardage to get the first downs when they needed them. The biggest issues were the secondary, both the linebackers and corners. Jatavis Brown, Will Parks, and Darius Slay were signed to help with this. Davion Taylor and Kavon Wallace were drafted along with a local college player in Sean Bradley, and then a late-round addition of Casey Tuhill. 
Malcolm left, and from the start of the game against Washington last year, he was in or nearly in every tackle. He played an unconventional position, which I think Davion Taylor will help replace. He's listed as a linebacker, but will be more like an edge rusher to help the line and a quicker, larger man to cover the fast tight ends or larger slot receivers. Kavan, who is by far my favorite pick on both Twitter and on the field, will also help fill that gap. Between the two, Malcolm is more than replaced. Even though it was nice having Malcolm fill that hole with one player, I believe that his position was addressed. Having to replace him with two players just proves how great of a player Malcolm actually was. And then you throw in Will Parks and Darius Slay and Nicole Roby Coleman. They are all great improvements from Darby and Sidney Jones. They could not keep up with Paul Richardson or Terry McLaurin last year. These three guys will make sure that nothing is getting over the top like last year. If today the Eagles defense went against the Washington offense, all of those long balls would be mitigated and that would take away most of Washington's scoring. Darius Geis and Adrian Peterson are still bigger risks to this team because of the neglect of drafting a true linebacker. Even though Sean Bradley and Casey Tuhill will be big guys to fill the gaps, they will need to be developed into every down players to stop players like Geis and Peterson. On the Washington side, the biggest additions were Ron Rivera and Chase Young in the offseason. Chase scares me to play twice a year, but our line is mostly unchanged with the exception of Peters, who still might be back. Chase will terrorize the NFC East just like he did to Penn State and the rest of the Big Ten. But it's not going to be the Eagles alone. He's going to terrorize everybody. And the Eagles this year are going to get the ball out quicker than they did last year because they have more viable targets. Ron Rivera is a great coach, but Doug does always seem to have a way with him. It may have been Cam Newton, it may have been Carolina, but Doug just seemed to always outsmart him by the end of the game. Both of them take risks, and it always seems to be Ron's don't pay off. Hopefully, that continues in Washington. And I think if they played this game today, the Eagles would easily cover that 10.5 point spread. Not only in the first half, but again in the second half. This is the time that I would normally look to this year's game and discuss my prediction for what the Eagles will do in week one. We don't know the schedule yet, so we'll skip that for now. But I want to share my fans' perspective for the day. Anyone who is worried about Jalen Hurts, don't be. He is going to help improve this team, take them to that next level. While he was a surprise pick, he's not in Philadelphia to ruin things. He is here to help the quarterback room. He is here to help challenge Wentz. He's here to help improve Wentz. We can't change the number 53 pick now. We can't go and get a Denzel Mims. And it was a stretch, in my opinion, to take a backup quarterback in the second round. But imagine if the script was flipped and he went to Dallas, or Washington, or New England, would we be happy that his talent was now our opponent? In those cities, he would definitely be the starter in the next couple of years, if not this year. Jalen is here, and he's a talent that will be used to help catapult the offense in certain situations with creativity. He has a work ethic that fits with Wentz, and the Super Bowl mindset from 2017. He isn't the problem of this offseason. He could very well be the missing piece. As many have pointed out, the Eagles have needed their backup quarterback in most seasons since 1990. So he's a great insurance policy, but I don't even want to call him an insurance policy. He's a great investment. 
because he could turn into trade value later. I mean, if Howie was able to trade Sam Bradford and Mark Sanchez for assets, I have to believe he will be able to send a real talent away for assets. But Jalen isn't a pick to undermine Wentz. It's not a pick that is meant to change the fans' perspective on Wentz. Let's see how this plays out. We're assuming a lot based off of just a selection of a talented guy. And I may be wrong. Who knows? Maybe he does become Wentz's replacement. But wouldn't you rather early on find the guy to replace him than start searching when it's already too late? Thanks for listening, guys. And as always, go birds. Go birds.